Oh, wow, there's a lot of people here now. <laughs> so glad to be here. Please pray with me, our holy God. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I am always so glad to be here at Tyndale. This is actually where I have cut my teaching teeth. Uh, even five years ago, I got a call from Tyndale saying we need a talk in uh, we need a, a class in children's ministry, and this is, in, in creating the classes that I've taught here is really where I started to think I need to really think deeply about what's going on in children and youth ministry, in the church, in our theological conversation that's happening. So I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to put these ideas together and then to engage with them year after year with the most intelligent, thoughtful, faithful students who challenge and engage and stretch all of our ideas. And it's really an exciting privilege to be here and part of this dynamic conversation. So thank you for that. When James invited me, he said, um, you can talk about anything you want, whatever you're passionate about. And so I thought, uh, I'm not teaching children's ministry this summer, I'm teaching youth and family ministry. So I'll talk about children, because that is definitely an area I'm passionate about, both practically in, in my work in adolescent health, and also theologically, and the work I do in theology. So I'll put some of those ideas together this morning. I love children. I have um, three of my own. They are teenagers now. They are all 16. I'm teaching them all to drive. <laughs> it's very exciting. I was not as gray last year. <laughs> Over the years, my time with children has brought me some of my most hearty laughter, some of my deepest joy, some of my most profound insight. And yet there have been many moments when I've been working with children or parenting children that I feel frazzled and at wit's end. And I've got a doctor degree in this stuff. I, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. In my work as a leader of children's ministry in the church, I've heard this tension of love and lost over and over again. We love our children. I have actually never met someone in the church who didn't care about children, though I expect people wouldn't dare tell me that. We want our children to thrive and to learn and to develop an authentic and growing faith. Curricula abound, promising to teach our children wonderful things about Jesus. And yet, so often, our children disappear or they're not engaged. The practical realities of nurturing children in ways that give life to the whole church community often feel overwhelming. Most of us say things like, children are not the church of tomorrow, they are the church of today. Or we say the church will die if we don't invest in children's ministry. But sometimes we don't have a lot to say after that. We want to make church work for children, we want to make church wonderful for them, but we don't know how. We had an amazing conversation in my class this morning, just was so focused and dynamic, and, and one person said, you know, we need 
a paradigm shift. This conversation just doesn't belong among the, the parents and the children's ministers. We'll know the paradigm shift is starting to happen when the senior pastors are taking a class in children's ministry, when the church bishops, when the deans, when the seminaries are running conferences on, on children's ministry, not as an aside workshop, but as our young people, like, we need to give this the theological depth and practical rigor it deserves. And I have to say, I was just, um, Rod Wilson and I knew each other 25 years ago at Regent, and we just connected, and, and I, I said to him, Regent still doesn't have a course in this, and, and that needs to change in the seminary. So thank you to Tyndale for making this a priority. There is so much work to be done. I'll tell you a story from my own church. Years ago, I was humbled by an incredibly lively group of young girls and boys in our children's ministry program. They were active and rowdy and full of life. Normal, healthy kids. But the other leaders and I were having trouble getting control. All, all kinds of things were happening. They were noisy. They were... The kind of what made us realize we were at a tipping point was that our our pastor was giving a sermon and we realized his cup of water had been changed to a cup of vinegar. <laughs> and we thought, we've got a problem. <laughs> this is out of control. <laughs> we had meetings. We wrote discipline policies and we pulled out our hair. But we didn't actually get anywhere until we stopped asking, what's wrong with these kids? And we started asking, what's wrong with our program? And we thought about this very intentionally. It was agonizing work. Over time, I don't have time to tell you that story, but we, we introduced movement, variety, active learning, self-quieting strategies. We eliminated highly sugared snacks. We, we created, and we got to know the children by name. So they were in a loving community where they belonged, where they had a voice. Now that they were in an environment that set them up for success, our discipline problems dwindled on their own. It wasn't we didn't have any, but it was like a, a different group of kids because they were set up for success. And the children thrived. And not only that, but the leaders thrived and the parents thrived because the kids were happier. It was win, win, win. It took us a long time to be able to articulate something very simple. The key to the positive change was not the curriculum, not the discipline policy, but the environment that we created in the church. Throughout child development literature, few things are recognized as more important for children's life and growth than their environment. Every aspect of this environment, whether physical or social or spiritual, contributes to or detracts from the child's propensity to thrive. So it should have been no surprise to me then, having worked with children in the church for some 20 years by this point, that when we intentionally improved the environment, everything changed for the better. But I was amazed. As I explored this idea in my ministry, I was inspired by a story Jesus tells about what the kingdom of God is like. I forgot I had slides. This is an afterthought. <laughs> a farmer scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether the farmer sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, so it is a mystery how. All by itself. 
The soil produces grain. And I understand this story as a powerful metaphor for spiritual formation with children. Soil is the environment for much of life. It provides structure and nourishment for growth and holds living creatures and creations in place, supporting tiny seedlings and ancient forests. Malleable and yet firm as soil is healthy, seeds grow and life thrives. And so also when a child experiences good soil, good things tend to happen. And so I wanted to know, what does good soil look like for children in the church? And I spent a lot of time thinking about that and and realized that the environments we create have to be in keeping with our values as a community. So what we believe about, like, what do we really believe about who children are and how they thrive? What does God say about this? These values are going to shape the environments that we create. And if we don't know how to answer those questions, this lack of clarity we have is also going to be reflected. So we need to think rigorously about what we're doing with kids. In my class, we spend an awful lot of time working with biblical values about children and childhood. And this is the kind of theological work that has not been well articulated in the church. But this gap is extremely important because when our core values are not articulated, there's going to be a disconnect between what we do and what we believe. And we can't afford to have that disconnect. It is there in our biblical scriptures. It's there in a church, in the story of the church over 2,000 years, but we need to articulate it clearly and look for it. And so we spent a lot of time looking through the Bible through the lens of childhood. And we've come up with uh, what I'm gonna organize into four themes for our purposes this morning. And the first theme is that biblically, Neil Neil read a passage reflecting all of these themes, but there are massive amounts when you start to read the Bible this way. Children are biblically are portrayed as vulnerable beings in need of protection. Not only parents, but the whole church community is responsible for caring for basic needs of food, shelter, love, and affection providing an environment that protects and nurtures and cares for every part of the child is paramount to our Christian calling. And the whole community has to be involved in this, not just a select few. As was the case in biblical times and is still the case today, a shocking number of children still lack some of the most basic needs in life. In Canada, those concerns are sometimes hidden, but they are disturbingly present, and they should be a primary focus for churches throughout our country. The environmental needs of children go far beyond the physical needs of food and nourishment. They extend into the social realm of care. The church needs to do even more to create an environment in which we no longer tolerate or ignore the abuse or harsh treatment of children at the hands of adults, including abuse that happens within our own walls, figuratively or not. And the church needs to work 
more diligently to become a stronger and more creative advocate for children in our own country, across the world. And one of the things we've learned in Canada that is very pressing to the Christian church today is that we have done a dreadful job of this with our indigenous populations. And the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has some strong calls to the church to take this more seriously. And that has got to be a vital part of our children's ministry. Those residential schools cannot happen again. These ideas represent the beginning of protection, not the end. Sometimes it's more subtle. For example, could we create environments that protect our children from the lure of a consumer's culture that exchanges one's unique identity as children of God for corporate logos? Could church communities offer a counter-narrative and opportunities for service rather than shopping. Protecting children does not mean surrounding them in bubble wrap and insulating them from experiencing risk and challenge. The opposite is true. Protecting our children means giving them age opportunities to grow strong and develop their resilience. My class can tell you all about this if you want to hear more. We protect children by giving them opportunities to try things. We can do this in the church. To make decisions, to fail and try again, to practice solving problems and to learn about their own gifts and limits. We can give them opportunities to navigate real relationships, to advocate for tangible justice, to practice genuine compassion, to engage in corporal worship and prayer with meaningful roles, and to grow capable and strong. And it's when we help our children grow strong that we truly protect them and to equip them, equip them to navigate their lives with grace and courage. Our second biblical principle is that children are gifts from God and sources of joy. They are full human beings in the image of God. Parents and other adults are to respect them and enjoy them. Children experience the world as children, not adults in waiting. They have the potential, creativity and curiosity and agency in their own lives. Creating an environment that celebrates children as gifts would mean creating a culture where children are known by name, talked to, welcomed, and valued, and their gifts are integrated into the life of the whole church, not in token ways, but in meaningful ways. It would mean thinking about our space, our programs, and our worship, not as if we are dealing with many adults occupying an adult world but in a way that meets children on their own terms, as children full of wonder, curiosity, and wiggles. Children are constantly learning how adults see them, not by what we say, but by how they are treated. They learn when they are scolded, belittled. They learn when they are rescued, or recognized, respected, and valued. Sometimes they learn things that we wish they hadn't learned and we can't take back. They learned by how we treat them, how to compete or cooperate, how to fear or to trust, how to join and include or how to isolate. From the way that we treat them, they learn that they are a nuisance or they learn that they belong to God's family. Our third point, so much to say about this. (laughs) 
Children reminds us, we, we know in the, from the Bible story that children are developing beings. They are moral agents in need of instruction and guidance. In my experience, this is one of the places the church historically has gone badly wrong. Too often we have used a traditional banking concept of education to guide our children. We have thought of education and spiritual formation as something that comes from the top down where adults give this to the child as if they are empty containers in which clergy must deposit knowledge. Instead, the church can look to what most modern education literature reveals, that children will learn best when not only are they involved in their own learning, but they are active protagonists. Children will learn and grow in their own faith journeys, not by obeying rules, reproducing behaviors, and memorizing doctrine, but by discovering and exercising their own strengths and abilities in an environment that allows them room to ask questions, to explore, and to play. When we adopt the dangerous goal of making sure our children know the right things over and above a more holistic approach, the result is that our children are invited into a shallow and moralistic experience of the faith. Jesus has so much more than that for us. By contrast, we could be laying the foundation for an imaginative life of faith rich in possibilities, which draws them into the fullness of life. The fourth biblical principle that I'll just go over quickly is that children are not only needing guidance, it's paradoxical, they are also models of faith for adults. They are sources of revelation and representatives of Jesus. The church is impoverished without the blessing of our children and adults are to listen to them and to learn from them. Listening to children is risky and unpredictable. You never know where the conversation is going to go. But we do know this, Jesus makes it very clear. There is something about God's kingdom that we cannot access without becoming like children. And so at the heart of not only our children's ministry, but our whole church ministry, our kingdom ministry, I hold before you this multidimensional vision of childhood in which children are held as beloved gifts. They are fully human, made in God's image. They are vulnerable and need protection. They need to discipline and they need guidance but they also reveal something about God that we cannot access on our own. In our, in, in our ministries, we need to keep all of these things in mind as we create environments that set children up to thrive. That's what I call good soil, and good soil matters. The environment is not a passive backdrop to our ministry to and with children. Like good soil, it is a living, breathing, vital, and dynamic participant in life and growth. Some education programs talk about the environment as the third teacher. I have seen hundreds of examples, heard thousands of stories 
of good soil. I've heard so many of them here from my students at Tyndale and around the church. But I, I talk about this so passionately because in my years of teaching and leading and listening, I have heard too many stories of environments in churches that do not help children thrive. Environments that set children up to feel guilty, environments that stifle honest questions and that foster fear of the other. Environments where children are seen and not heard. Environments where children are targets for complaint because they are noisy, smelly, wiggly, curious. Sometimes they smell bad and they're full of mischief and life. I don't think this happens because lack of care. I don't think it's because of lack of money or material resources. I think it's for the most part because we are stuck we are stuck in outdated models, and we have not done a good job of integrating what's been learned for the past many decades in fields such as child development and adolescent um, health and education. But I know that there is another way, because I have seen this so many times. But we have to be intentional, and we have to take our time to clearly articulate our biblical values, and then to use the best available contemporary evidence to create environments that really do set children up to thrive as full human beings. Soil scientists tell us that there are as many life forms in a handful of soil as there are humans on Earth. This is a good reminder that there is not one right way to create a positive environment for children in the church and without. And while each environment will be unique, they will also share common features, features that declare this is a place where adults have thought about the quality of the environment and children are valued here. And that is when good soil will happen. And that is when our children will have the opportunities to grow, not just in Sunday school, but into mature Christian adults who can thrive, who have the tools and capabilities and resilience and theological imagination and foundation to live well in a very complicated world into the fullness of life. And they are asking nothing less from us. Um, because that is, is that important. Um, so I, I commend to you this morning to join with me as champions of children in the church, to settle for nothing less than a multidimensional view of childhood that protects them, that guides them, that respects them as full human beings and that we create the environments that they need, this good soil, so that they can thrive and have the opportunity to grow deep roots and live fully into the fullness of life and into God's shalom. Amen.